0: Hello, and welcome back to another Conservative Historian Podcast. This one entitled, The Movie Back to School, Academia, Business, and Fame. The date, February 2022, and my name is Avis. One of the most memorable parts of the successful 1980 movie Caddyshack, in addition to the slovenly assistant groundskeeper Carl Spackler, Ted Knight's snobbish Judge Smales, In Chevy Chase's idol-rich wiseacre Ty Webb, there was Rodney Dangerfield's nouveau super-rich guy Al Cervic. Has there been any better character naming between this movie and Harry Potter? Well, maybe 1984's Ghostbusters, but I digress. Now, Dangerfield had had a reasonably successful career as a stand-up comic for for decades up until his appearance in Caddyshack. Back in the day, stand-ups were not as defined by their material as by their personas. Foster Brooks was a drunk, Rich Little did impressions, and Dangerfield was the perpetual loser who never got any respect, as his tagline would state. And there was a difference between the act I saw in Johnny Carson, the progenitor for late-night comedians when they, you know, actually tried to be funny and not woke, and Dangerfield's real act. Dangerfield liked this sex joke, and as I was to learn later on, here is a sample. A hooker once told me she had a headache. My marriage is on the rocks again. Yeah, my wife just broke up with her boyfriend. And I'm a bad lover. I once caught a peeping Tom booing me. Dangerfield was always the main target in his acts, one of the key aspects of why he could make the transition to beloved movie star. Caddyshack changed his life. You need to go to YouTube, search Caddyshack Band Scene, and watch the new Dangerfield go to work so you know what the writers for the movie Back to School were thinking. What if they did an entire film about Al Cervic? The plot is simple. Dangerfield plays uber-successful business retailer named Thornton Mellon. His second marriage ends, and he learns his son, Jason, is struggling in college. Mellon has never been to college, so why not go back to school, get his degree, and help out his son? The writer sent the same crude, boorish, but intelligent, filthy rich character that was in Caddyshack to the Academy instead of the country club. Only something interesting happened on the way to the movie. The writers, which included Dangerfield, Dennis Snee, Greg Fields, and the director, Alan Metter, intentionally or not, inserted thoughtful lines and real-world commentary wholly missing from the self-contained world of Caddyshack. That earlier movie, like the progenitor of all these types of films, Animal House, and reflecting the ethos of sketch shows like Second City and Saturday Night Live, was really a series of comedy bits strung together to cover nearly two hours. But unlike college comedy Animal House, Back to School actually had a plot, a story arc, and actually a lot of interesting things to say about a lot of different things, including the academy, business, and fame. And What's interesting is that all these things are sort of relevant today, even though the movie was made back in 1986. We're going to start with a scene with the comedian Sam Kinnison. Now, everyone remembers him as the yelling guy, but note the exchange with a student in which he asks about Vietnam, and she provides him a textbook answer. Her answer, quote, The failure of Vietnamization to win popular support eroded the local support in the various but illegal Saigon regimes, Unquote. It was a good answer. For Kinison, not so much kinnison played professor turgeson now i want to be clear in my uh podcasts i rarely yell because i don't know yelling always seems to imply like i'm not really uh certain about the material but unfortunately for this one you're gonna have to hear me yelling a lot because professor turgeson as is played by sam kinnison well yelling's kind of his thing so here's his response to this student's very logical and well thought out commentary on Vietnam. Quote, is she right? Because I know that's the popular version of what went on there, and a lot of people like to believe that. I wish I could, but I was there. I wasn't in a classroom, hoping I was right thinking about it. I was on my knees in rice paddies, with guns that didn't work, going in there, looking for Charlie, sucking it out with him, while pussies like you were back here partying putting headbands on, doing drugs, and listening to the goddamn Beatles albums! Ah! 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 At this point, the student is in tears. The rest of the class has various looks of terror upon their faces, and Mellon decides to intervene, inviting the rage upon his own head. Turgeson moves over to Mellon and begins yelling at him, Quote, you remember that thing we had about 30 years ago called the Korean Conflict and how we have failed to achieve victory? How come we didn't cross the 38th parallel and push those rice eaters back to the Great Wall of China? They take the fucking wall apart brick by brick and make them into a fucking stone age forever. Tell me why. Say it. Say it. Thorn Mellon, in sense, responds back, also yelling, All right, I'll say it because Truman was too much of a pussy wimp to let MacArthur go in there and blow out those commie bastards. Unquote. Turgesson, now mollified, replies, good answer. Good answer. I like the way you think. I'm going to be watching you. Thorn Mellon responds, good teacher. He really seems to care. About what? I have no idea. Unquote. Lest you think your conservative historian has lost his mind completely, I would strongly advise you to go to YouTube and look up this scene. It is actually a lot of fun. One of the things I can't replicate in a podcast is Turguson ripping a chair out and throwing it across the classroom. <laughs> it's really good stuff. As in the Caddyshack scene, you have to see it on YouTube to get that real gist. Obviously, professors in the 1980s did not necessarily scream in rage. But there was definitely a key difference between then and today. Now, one of my own poli-sci professors, by the name of Chung Do Ha, had a relatively simple message for us in our very first class as freshmen. We were all mediocre and thus deserving of C's. The brilliant students, they were going to get B's. And A's, those were reserved for God and Ha. As it stood, many students still did get A's, but Professor Ha was a very hard grader. I worked my butt off, and as a frequent listener to this podcast can attest, I do like history and politics, but my best got me a B in his class. Thirty years later, the grading system for today's student is a little bit different. In a recent paper published by the National Bureau of Economic Research, quote, the results from the large public universities and public liberal arts college data suggest that rising grades cannot be explained by changes in student learning. Instead, our findings from the nationally representative data, the sample of large public universities, and the public liberal arts colleges in combination with trends in student time spent studying and labor force participation in college suggests that GPAs have been rising due to relaxed standards. Let me repeat that, relaxed standards. These relaxed standards account for much of the increase in college graduation rates. The paper notes suggested reasons and is typical with so much of life, one is only to follow the money. Finally, there has been increased policy attention on college completion during this period. For example, the number of state policies that tie appropriations for higher education to college completion via performance funding mechanisms has increased. The use of these mechanisms grew beginning in the 1990s, So in the 1980s, you have a professor, yeah, who screams, but personally, my professor's? graded extremely hard the mechanisms grew in the 1990s very simple people are paid for high grades and high graduation rates and hence follow the money and always understand what the incentivization processes are in college incentivization equals higher grades and more passing ones whether the merit of the student warrants it or not Colleges, especially those who receive government-backed student loans, know that professors of Ha's demeanors might turn students off. So it was certainly disconcerting to hear, as an 18-year-old, that I was destined for mediocrity. But it was also understood that, first, professors talk this way. Ha didn't really think we were mediocre. We were in a pretty good college, and he knew that we were going to work hard. It was just the way he talked. And we were grown-ups, after all, and so were they. That way, we also understood Ha was presenting a challenge. He wasn't really saying we were mediocre. What he was saying is he was going to put the challenge in front of us to rise above mediocrity. God forbid he actually wanted to hold us accountable and hold us to higher standards. That paper concludes with, quote, Departments that increase grades see higher student enrollments. Additionally, colleges have strategic incentives to offer less informative grades in institutional efforts to curb grade inflation, can fail to make transcripts more informative, and can instead reduce the welfare of the entire university. Now, viewers tend to remember Kinison yelling, and I just did my own yelling thing just now too, but they often forget his words. The script was acceptable in the 1980s, but would not make it out of the writer's room in 2022. Why? Because it involves not only China, and you can't say anything bad about China in a movie today, but terminology that would be termed as both racist and misogynist. I am concerned with even writing this. Despite my smallish audience, the ability to monitor any online activities is permissive. The other day... I tweeted about the Chinese stealing trade secrets. I then received a response from a woman named Tan Yan asking me to back up my charges. I'm omitting that it would take about three minutes of searching to find evidence, even from the FBI, about China stealing trade secrets. But the timing, the obvious fakery of this, and the response make it more than suspicious. I knew what I was dealing with I was dealing with a response bot. And it would not take a brilliant computer app to have seen my tweet and have a bot reply in kind. Sort of like a little tap on the shoulder. We are watching you. And so why am I concerned? Because like Huck Finn, my concern is that Back to School may be edited or canceled because I brought up anti-Chinese animus, which must not be born. My concern is that by bringing this up, somehow new versions of Back to School or YouTube might actually eliminate that entire scene all together, And it's one of the funniest scenes, and again, one of the more insightful ones in the entire movie. And why is it insightful? Because the other difference is that essentially the crazed professor of history and back-to-school was a, a neoconservative. A, a what? This is a dying breed within the United States today. Beneath the fun of Sam Kinison's mania is the yearning for a robust foreign policy between him and Mellon. They both agree on this. One can only imagine the reaction of Professor Turguson to the Chinese holding one million of their people in concentration camps, conquering Hong Kong, and threatening Taiwan. And how would Mellon feel about the Chinese making knockoffs of his business ideas or stealing his trade secrets? The bizarre nature of the scene is the manic professor, but in 2022, a conservative history professor would make Kinnison screaming Turgeson seem almost normal by comparison, because I guarantee you, a professor on campus, even conservative or liberal, would probably not be teaching neoconservative values. It's all America first. It's America first because the Democrats want all of that social spending. It's America first on the right because they believe in isolationism. Neither party really today embraces the concept of a robust foreign policy of an America abroad as a good thing, as a valuable thing. Today, it is easy grades that are necessary to maintain enrollments. Again, follow the money. And hence, in back to school, our hero has a bit of an issue. His high school grades, what there is of them, are simply not good enough to get into the college that his son attends. But to the rescue, Ned Beatty's De- Dean David Martin. It's Dean Martin. This joke probably would fall flat in 2022. as was funny in 1986. It's a reference to the old crooner who was a member of the Rat Pack. But again, I digress. This Dean Martin is receptive to a compromise. What to do, what to do about Thornton Mellon's bad grades and getting him into the school. In the dean's office, where the issues of grades arose, Mellon suggests there might be a compromise. And the scene brilliantly cuts immediately to a building dedication ceremony for the Thornton Mellon School of Business. <laughs> it's really a great cut. Now, Dr. Philip Barbie, the leading business school professor and uh, later a rival for Sally Kellerman's affections, the comely English professor at the college and age-appropriate Mellon love interest, arrives at the ceremony. Barbe objects to what he knows is a reduction of standards to rake in Mellon's largesse. Quote, I want to get it on record that I am totally against this. I don't think that selling admission to an obviously unqualified student is either ethical or honorable. Dean Martin replies, uh, right, Phil. In Mr. Mellon's defense, it was a really big check. Unquote. I love that line. Check out Harvard's, Stanford's, heck, Villanova's endowments. Lots of big shots, writing really big checks. Barbet is incensed at this naked set-aside of the rules for monetary gain. But Mellon then says, quote, Listen, Sherlock, while you were tucked away up here working on your ethics, I was out there busting my hump in the real world. And the reason guys like you got a place to teach is because guys like me donate buildings. Unquote. One of the best points about the academy was made in a book entitled The Case Against Education, Why the Education System is a Waste of Time and Money by Brian Kaplan. If you could have the piece of paper saying you graduated and not take a single class, or you could get all of the learning, instruction, and training and not get the degree, which one would you take? The answer is about 99 to 1 that one would take the piece of paper. Why? Because there's little correlation between obtaining the degree and learning something of value for post-collegiate activities. Now, this is exemplified in a classroom exchange between Mellon and the Professor Barbie. Barbie begins by describing an imaginary factory in which they will build widgets. This is a blast from my MBA past days. Cost versus profit and price per unit and all of that. But Mellon intervenes. He says, quote, Oh, you left out a bunch of stuff. Barbie responds, Oh, really? Like what, for instance? Mellon replies, First of all, you're going to have to grease the local politicians for the sudden zoning problems that always seem to come up. Then there's the kickbacks to the carpenters. And if you plan on using any cement in this building, I'm sure the Teamsters would like to have a little chat with you. That'll cost you. Oh, and don't forget a little something for the building inspectors. Then there's long-term costs such as waste disposal. I don't know if you're familiar with who runs that business, but I assure you, it's not the Boy Scouts, unquote. Barbie cuts in, that will be enough, Mr. Mellon, maybe bribes, kickbacks, and mafia payoffs are how you do business, but they are not part of the legitimate business world, and they are certainly not part of anything I am doing in this class. <laughs> I think Barbie comes off a little unfairly in this exchange. I love the part about an academic not knowing how things work in the actual business world, but one needs to know about unit cost and factory locations. These are factors in business. But again, would a student learn more about business from a real life melon or a real life Barbie? And at least the latter is trying. To get my MBA, I had super expensive business courses like statistics, which was really a calculus course because my professor was a math, not a business expert. My IT course was a joke and consumer marketing, it took about 10 minutes in a chi-square analysis discussion to know that my professor knew next to nothing about demographics, targeting, platforms, messaging, or shelf space. Some of the numerous aspects of the real-world subject. Those who cannot do, teach. I can tell you, too, that that statistics class, in which I learned calculus, it's been decades since I took that class, and I have not used it. Not once. Hence, the dichotomy about what goes on in the classroom and what goes on in the real world. Now, a throwaway scene features one of the up-and-comers, up-and-comer actors of the 1980s in a supporting role. Went by the name of Robert Downey Jr., long, long before his, uh, his Iron Man days. He plays Derek, the roommate of Mellon's son. Derek is the classic campus archetype who is against... Well, really, whatever someone else is for quote violent ground acquisition games such as football is in fact a crypto fascist metaphor for nuclear war Unquote. during the course of the movie. he changes his major four times and almost gets Mellon involved in a brawl with the football team. However, Mellon is bailed out by his uber tough guy bodyguard driver, best friend factotum played by Bert Young, of whom it is great to see in a non rocky role one line though. From Melon to Derek really stands out. Melon says to him, "Uh, Derek has blue hair, is that your real hair? And uh, Derek says, what do you think? And Melon says, I think you're trying to get back at your parents. That's what I think. The Dereks of the world are always showing the rest of the world how much they do not care about an opinion they hold by showing that they care so deeply to dye their hair, get tattoos and maybe inject themselves with multiple piercings. But do you know what people who really, really do not care wear? Probably jeans and a t-shirt, something comfortable, because you see, they really do not care what other people think. Anybody who's going to change their physical appearance of that much must care deeply about what the world thinks. And finally, there is fame. Mellon, Derek, and Jason cannot get their books because the book-selling area of the university is packed with too many students. Mellon is not one for waiting, but soon a rumor flies and the place empties in moments. What happened was as Mellon had stationed Lou at his limousine with a sign reading, Bruce Springsteen. Who cares about buying books if one can get a glimpse through the tinted glass of a limousine at a rock legend? Fame before all. Is back to school a great movie? Heck <laughs> no. The cringy love scenes between Mel and son Jason, played by Keith Gordon, and the statuesque Valerie Desmond, played by actress Terry Farrell, are about as believable that Bruce Springsteen would descend about a co- on a college unannounced. We can see Dangerfield as the nouveau riche progenitor of oversized fashion. Remember George Zimmer of Men's Warehouse? I guarantee it. But as a generationally accomplished high diver? Unfortunately, Dangerfield looks like he might drown in the hot tub with the co-eds. The aforementioned Ghostbuster movie was, unlike this contemporary, a fantasy epic with ghosts and demons and nuclear powered backpacks. But one could actually believe that Harold Ramis, Dan Ecker, and Bill Murray were those goofy guys. Dangerfield as Greg Luganus? Not so much. But that does not change that within what was supposed to be about 90 minutes of throwaway entertainment, a respite from the still ongoing Cold War and other assorted 80s angsts, was a movie that had a lot to say about the university system, how business is conducted, and celebrity culture. It did incredibly well at the box office of the day because it was a feel-good movie, but was really strange watching it almost 30-plus years later, and it was hidden in plain sight that it was quite insightful in many, many ways. I hope you have enjoyed this latest podcast from The Conservative Historian. Check out all of our other podcasts on our Busbrot site. This is Bell Avis. Thanks for listening.